Hello and welcome to this week's Reorg Europe podcast. My name is Ben Kovaka and I'm distressed that analyst here in Reorg's London office. On this week's podcast, we will revisit Rally with analyst Cedric Kassin. We discussed the credit two weeks ago and we are back to look at the new credit facility and Casino's liquidity profile. We will also be looking in depth at the largest LBO this year, Refinitiv, and the loose terms of the financing package with legal analyst Meenakshi Roy. Finally, Luca Rossi will give us an overview of CMC Ravenna, which has been in the spotlight on contagion from another Italian builder Astaldi. This week, sources told Reorg that Adcon is in talks with its creditors about equitizing most of its opco debt and wiping out all of the holdco debt as part of its potential third debt restructuring. Discussions are ongoing regarding the new business plan, which will determine the need for new money, and the company is negotiating new money options with hedge funds in a bid to cover liquidity needs. Christmas trading will be a significant piece of the puzzle. Folly Folly Notes dropped 8 points to single digits following release of Alvarez and Marsal report. The report said that the cash of the Asian entity was 98% lower than the actual 2017 numbers showed by the company. The cash figure from Alvarez report was about 6 million euros. Revenue, based on the Alvarez report, was 89% lower at 116 million euros, not the 1.1 billion euros that Folly Folly reported in its 2017 accounts. The reported group revenue was 1.4 billion euros, and therefore, the release of Alvarez finding has huge ramifications for the entire group. The situation with Digicel is also heating up this week. The company has $140 million in coupon payments coming due between September 30th and October 15th. And the company had $158.2 million of unrestricted cash and cash equivalents as of June 30th. The company's top line has been declining since 2015. Telecoms, uh, it's a very capital intensive industry and Digicel is more levered than its peers, making it harder for the telecom company to generate cash to invest in growth to compete. Now with $6.7 billion of debt due between 2020 and 2024, a solution is needed. An ad hoc group of crossholders owning over half of the Jamaica-based telecommunications firm 2020 and 2022 notes uh, have agreed not to tender the proposed exchange of the notes for longer dated paper. The exchange is considered a bad deal, especially for the 2022 bonds, in part because it structurally subordinates the 2022 note holders and does not close covenant loopholes that could lead to value leakage. The disparate treatment of the 2020s and the 2022s adds an extra layer of complexity to the situation. This means there are different holders with different interests and further groups are expected to be added to the mix. Yesterday, Bonds of Taco dropped 14 points following the release of results that saw revenue fall 7.8%, like for like revenue down 8.8%, and free cash flow to negative 7.9 million euros. The company last 12 months adjusted EBITDA is now 128 million euros. And the company has a covenant under the RCF of minimum EBITDA at 110 million. So we are slowly approaching that limit. So let's start with Casino where we left off last time. Rally announced a new 500 million credit facility about a week ago on Sunday. Uh, Cedric, can you tell me a little more about it? Yeah, the company said it got 500 million credit facility maturing in 2020 from BNP Paribas, Credit Agricole, CIC, HSBC and Natixis. The company said those are its core banks. According to the release, the credit facility does not benefit from any pledge on casino shares. Right, so the facility can be drawn without pledging rally shares. 
Is it secured by anything else? We've been getting that question from a lot of people. It's unclear from the, re from the release whether the facility is unsecured. The way the release worded is a bit strange. It doesn't confirm that the facility is unsecured. It just says that it does not benefit from any pledge on casino shares. So does this change the liquidity picture of the company at all? 1.7 billion of credit lines are available and 1.4 billion are subject to pledge. So you've got around 300 million of credit lines that are not subject to pledge. And if you assume this additional 500 million euros, that's 800 million euros of availabilities. There is around 1 billion coming due in 2018 and 2019. So liquidity still looks pretty tight after 2020. Also, remember the debt you draw on the revolver will, will mature before the bonds. So Raleigh assessed that this French business can generate enough free cash flow to cover financial expenses and dividends. Do you think this is doable? Well, the company's recurring financial expenses amount to 150 million euros. Its dividend has been 400 million euros in recent years. So that's a guidance of 550 million euros. In our opinion, the French businesses will always struggle to be anywhere this target with a recurring EBIT of just 600 million euros, 600 million euros of capex and working capital changes, negative 100 million euros last year. Also, the French business is booking lots of restructuring costs when remodeling and closing stores, 230 million euros last year. Lastly, let's point that the company free cash flow definition is after net capex, which includes 215 million euros of disposals in 2017 and 220 million euros in the first half. Discarding disposals, in our best case, after a strong first half, we believe the company can generate 250 million euros of unlevered free cash flow, but on a more normalized basis, we see unlevered free cash flow closer to 150 million euros per year then you have 150 million euros of interest payments. So essentially, in a base case scenario, we see no free cash flow after interest costs. So the company seems to also have commercial paper. So could you explain how does this factor into the liquidity picture of the company? As of August 31st, and according to a Bank de France report, 725 millions were drawn under the company's commercial paper program. Those mature within 12 months according to the company's report. Rally, the holding company, has also its own commercial paper program. 312 millions were drawn as of August 31st. Right, so could we focus on this for a second? Rally is a holdco and it does not really have any real operations. So why do they really need the commercial paper? Do, do we know what it relates to? Yes, this came up on a call with management at the end of June. Management say that CPs are a cheaper and more flexible source of financing than credit facilities. The outstanding amount typically falls due at the end of the quarter or semester, and the proceeds are usually invested in, sh in short-term interest-bearing current accounts. Overall, Casinos France is not generating any cash, but its credit lines are undrawn. Rally, the Holco, liquidity is more problematic, especially after 2020. Here at Real, we are currently looking at the company Liquids Holding in Europe and in Latin America. We are analyzing their own liquidity needs and assessing how those assets fit into the, the whole puzzle. Well, thank you very much, Cedric. Hello, Minakshi. 
So uh, Thomson Reuters has recently spun off its financial uh, and risk business into Refinitiv. With $13.5 billion debt financing, the two euro tranches were sized at uh, $1 billion for the 7.5 non-call 3 and the $700 million for the 8 non-call 3. Is the issuance testing uh, the European high yield space? Hi Ben, absolutely. Refinitiv is the largest LBO since the financial crisis and the debt is divided between 8 billion in loans and 5.5 billion in high yield bonds. The bonds are split between first lien and unsecured notes. Now, while this is a good deal size and that, that's good news for the market, Refinitiv has come to market with some very off-market aggressive features. That is not good news for the already loose covenant landscape. Uh, can you tell us more about the covenant package? Well, given its LBO, we do expect to see a certain degree of flexibility around debt incurrence and dividend payments. But with Refinitiv, it's at a whole new level. Not only does it come with the regular belts and braces that have become commonplace in the diluted covenant market, um, well, take hugely aggressive a bit the addbacks, and we'll talk about that later. The covenants are structured in such a way that RP capacity has been used to allow Refinitiv to incur debt and secure debt. Uh, this is pretty out there even in today's market. So Refinitiv can actually pay the sponsor's dividends, then use available RP capacity determined by some a very complex formula to add on more debt, both secured and unsecured debt. Now, this is obviously at the expense of the note holders. Refinitiv can also potentially use its RP capacity to leak cash outside the group, then put it back in as a capital contribution or cash from sponsors, and then use the contribution debt basket to literally double that amount to incur debt. This is very interesting and obviously not great news to the credit part of the capital structure. The equity side, on the other hand, a different story. So let's dig into the dividend capacity for a while. Is it off market as well? Yes, in fact, Refinitiv's adjustments to maximize dividends are equally intriguing. For starters, it features aggressive EBITDA addbacks, a trend we have noticed with literally all issuers in the months leading up to the summer break. Now, Refinitiv hopes to boost its EBITDA addback by a whooping $650 million in addbacks for cost savings. Now, add to that uncapped addbacks for future adjustments for proforma run rate cost savings operating expense reductions and synergies, and EBITDA pursuant to contracted pricing, and all these without any time period for realizing the projected savings. Right, so we have heard a lot of uh, discussion around EBITDA addbacks, and you mentioned them numerous times. So, in fact, the last uh, Reorg European podcast discussed it too uh, in the context of covenants. So are investors uh, comfortable with it now, or is it really kind of uh, just going with the flow? Um, on a general note, I think this is something most investors expect to see in today's market. Now, even though this is not a very desirable state of affairs, now take Refinitiv. We heard market chatter around investors being uncomfortable with the $650 million addbacks. Now, that's almost equal to proceeds from an additional issuance with other transaction costs or any market scrutiny. And we share these concerns. First, well, can Refinitiv actually realize these addbacks? Who knows? Maybe they can. Second, even if these addbacks are realized, there would be genuine concern around Refinitiv's current cap stack. It is so debt heavy that the addbacks would possibly be eclipsed by their interest expense. So would the Refinitiv sponsors uh, be looking at the huge dividends? Definitely, Ben. EBITDA addbacks are generally used to game the restrictions around dividend payments and high yield structures. Refinitiv is looking to do that too, and more 
with some radical off-market features. First, the RP Builder basket is structured in such a way that it is almost non-depleting. This is a very, very off-market feature. The basic premise of a high-yield structure is that the issuer is not permitted to make payments outside the restricted group. And to do so, it has to build the RP basket and make on distributions from those earnings. Typically, only when it is not in default or in an event of default situation. Distributions once made from the RP basket are typically deducted and are no longer available. Quite like a checking account, you know, deposit the money you earn and spend from it. And obviously once spent, the account balance decreases. But this is not how it works for Definitive. It builds its RP basket, the checking account in our example, by adding an upfront $1 billion credit, plus, very unusually, any excess proceeds declined from any asset sale offers. Having built the basket unorthodoxly and aggressively, Refinitiv can access the basket when it is in default, yes, in default, and without actually reducing the available quantum. Not only can Refinitiv make dividend payments simply by meeting a 4.8 times leverage ratio, which, remember, is made easier by the EBITDA backs, but it can make these payments without reducing the RP basket availability. The RP basket is a checking account that keeps giving. And also remember, a month's leftover can be used for taking on secured debt. Should it do an IPO, all IPO dividends and post-IPO dividends wouldn't reduce the RP basket either. So basically, spend all you want from the checking account, and when you want to, the account balance doesn't fall. So this deal just keeps sounding more and more aggressive uh, as we go through the credit terms. To finish up on the dividend capacity, are there any other tweaks? Yes, actually there are. Our Refinitiv has a clause which allows it to transfer equity interest in unrestricted subsidiaries as dividend payments to sponsors. So this effectively mutates all baskets permitting investments to be made using RP funds into potential dividend baskets. Also, unusually, Refinitiv also permits any RPs or dividends to be made in connection with transactions related to a permitted change of control, which is set at a leverage trigger of four times EBITDA. So is this highly unusual and surprising? In this case, yes, because the OM already permits RPs to be made subject to meeting a less than 4.8 times leverage trigger. Right. So let's talk about the leverage trigger that you just mentioned for a while. Are there any issues regarding the leverage trigger? Well, Refinitiv allows the issuer to choose that ratio determinations be made on the date of the definitive agreement as opposed to closing. Now, we see lots of issuers besides Refinitiv using this route to game covenant restrictions. Uh, Refinitiv will also permit credit facilities to be considered fully drawn down on the date of ratio determination, so future drawdowns can be made without having to test ratios. This makes it easier for issues, issuers to skirt covenant restrictions. While this is pretty common in the leveraged loan space, um, it's not quite as prevalent in the leveraged, in the high-yield bond space. There is a lot of going on, obviously. And is there anything that we haven't touched on yet regarding Refinitiv? Well, on the face of it, it's evident that the market is willing to accept loose and off-market terms when a deal is backed by the likes of Blackstone. But reading between the lines, it looks like Refinitiv is yet to make more news. Um, it's highly likely that TradeWeb, their electronic trading platform, will be sold or disposed of in the near future, given that they have a 150 million carve out for it in their asset sales covenant. So if the market chatter is to be believed, 
They already have plans for leveraging FNR's assets and possibly combining them with other assets owned by Blackstone. What happens to the node holders in the event of an asset sale like this? Well, this would come as no surprise given the debt flex in their documents. Um, if the assets are sold to or merged with Blackstone entities, then the change of control put would not get triggered because of a sponsor carve-out. Surprisingly, though, the notes carry a double trigger in the change of control provision. This is very unusual for a New York law issuance. Um, note holders will effectively not be entitled to the 101 put if the consolidated total debt ratio pro forma for the transaction is below four times EBITDA. Interestingly, though, the threshold for note holders to be made an excess proceeds offer is again, guess it, 600 million, which is a huge threshold and may possibly never come into play. Now over to Luca and CMC Di Ravenna. During the latest call with investors, some funds took a very aggressive stance against the company, questioning its liquidity and ability to collect receivables. Could you tell us what happened then? Hi, Ben. Yes, uh, a couple of analysts grilled the CMC management requesting more clarity on the company working capital and liquidity position, especially given the issues surrounding the other Italian builder that you all know, Astaldi. So in terms of working capital, CMC has two main problems. One is receivables. In its uh, second quarter report, the company posted a 107 euros million increase in receivables from the end of 2017. Total receivables include 15 million euros for the Nesina Stesicoro underground project in Sicily, 24 million from new projects in Kuwait, Zambia, South Africa, Kenya and Algeria, and 40.9 million euros from projects with the Italian state-owned toll operator ANAS. So, ANAS has a long tradition of delayed payments and given the upcoming budget law in Italy, we expect uh, that this money could be uh, paid with uh, some further delays. But it's really projects in Kenya and Nepal where collection could prove more difficult. The second, the other problem CMC has, it's 800 million euros of so-called work in progress. Basically, these are projects that haven't been completed and certified and where CMC has some ongoing disputes, for example, with ANAS. So the company has experienced an increase of 27 million euros in work in progress since December 2017. While with receivables, it's only a matter of collecting the money, work in progress have to be firstly certified and then the capital can be collected. In order to reassure investors during the latest call with, uh, with them, the CEO, the new CEO, Paolo Porcelli, said that the 137 million euros of delayed payments, delayed payments are a mix of receivables and advanced payments, which affected CMC performance in the second quarter, will be collected by the end of September, so now. Uh, he added, that's, uh, that's very important, that he was open in principle to discuss the company's receivables position in October. Uh, the impact of these delayed payments, which we have discussed, has been pretty strong on the company's working capital, which increased from uh, 505 million to 665 million, and, uh, and there was a pretty strong impact also on the company's net adjusted debt, which rose from 670 million to 825 million, with leverage up to uh, 5.33 times from 3.9 times. 
Right, interesting. Um, well, it seems like uh, the management kind of uh, cornered itself uh, by giving a deadline for the working capital improvement, and, and they're kind of running with that figure. So is, is market paying a lot of attention to this, or you know, is it interpreted a bit more loosely? Well, you're right, Ben. Um, I guess it's now more an issue of uh, credibility rather than anything else. The market will expect an update, and the company may give it or may not uh, give it an update on its uh, liquidity and on the receivables collection in October. Don't forget that, that there is another potential issue here. So CMC's uh, 165 million RCF matures in December 2019, and the CEO said that he plans to start new uh, negotiations by early October. Moreover, CMC has to clean down its RCF by reducing drawings to not more than 10% of the facility, which is 15 million, for at least 10 consecutive days each year. Management said it expects to do it in November, and analysts during the latest call have questions uh, the company's ability to do that. The CEO responded by saying that the company's cash balance at the end of June is 89.1 million which combined with the receivables it expects to collect in the third quarter of the year makes the company's liquidity position uh, not at peril. Okay, interesting. Uh, so you talked about uh, Anas. Uh, so what's the relationship between uh, CMC and Anas? Have uh, other uh, Italian construction companies experienced the same issues with Anas or is uh, CMC more exposed uh, to, this, uh, to this body than the others? Look, as I said, ANAS has a long-standing uh, tradition of uh, delayed payments. This does not mean that ANAS doesn't pay. CMC has worked with ANAS way more than companies such as Astaldi and uh, Salini in Pregilo. And uh, don't forget there is a political angle into this. CMC is a cooperative company, ANAS is uh, state-owned, and Italy has been substantially ruled by a center-left coalition government since 2013 up until May 2018. Uh, overall, I think the main problem here lies in those work in progress which we mentioned and where there are ongoing disputes between ANAS and CMC because the latter has altered the perimeter of some original tenders, which again was a common practice in Italy, but it's not anymore as the law has uh, changed. Thanks, Luca. And uh, and lastly, um, do you think that Ital Italian banks uh, will support CMC Derivana if uh, things turn sour and the management is actually not able to resolve this problem uh, in time? Well, I don't see any reason uh, why they shouldn't support the company. Even if the company uh, was in breach of its leverage covenants at the year end, I believe the banks could uh, turn a blind eye and amend it. And uh, don't forget that the banks will do everything to avoid another Astaldi kind of situation. To make things clear, during the CMC call, management said explicitly that it had not received any requests from its banks to strengthen its equity and added that they are already in talks regarding the RCF negotiations. So overall, I don't expect any negative surprises on this front. Well, thank you very much, Luca. With that, we wrap this week's podcast. We will be back in two weeks' time. Thanks, everyone, for listening.